Welcome to 6-8 Church. We're glad you're here with us this morning. 6-8 comes from a verse in the Bible, Micah 6-8, and it goes like this. And if you'll join me on the parts in bold. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. So we want to be a church of disciples, a church of people following after Jesus who have in our heart, our heart's desire to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. So we're trying to be people who, when we leave this building, we're not just going to go out and learn a whole lot about Jesus and, and learn about what he says about things, but we're actually going to try to apply it to our lives. And we'll do it imperfectly. We'll fall. We'll make mistakes. Nothing will work like we hope it's going to work when we learn about it. But, but we're trying to apply God's truth to our lives and live out doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly outside of this place. So this is kind of our rally point. This is the point where we come together and we, we get all on the same page and then we go out and live this way throughout the week. Uh, one way you can help us do justice is if this is your first or second time with us this morning, there's a connection card in the seat back that's in front of you. Or if you're sitting at a table, it's in the back of the seat that you're sitting in. You can fill that in and, uh, and turn that in. If you check the first or second time visitor box on there, um, we will donate a pair of socks in your honor to Northwest Children's Outreach. So you can help us do justice that way simply by filling out that card. One thing we do a little bit differently here, no, I'm not just playing on my phone, is we have a, a text number and we invite you to text in your questions and your comments and uh, your feedback. That number is 360-818-4399. Three six zero eight one eight four three nine nine. And if you have questions or comments, jokes, if they're appropriate, I'll try to. I'll do my best to work them in so you can be a part of the conversation this morning. I apologize. I got a little bit of a cold. I'm a little bit stuffy. I used to have a cr really chronic sinus infections. The house that we lived in uh, in Washougal. The owners before us had cats, and I didn't know I was allergic to cats until after we lived in the house for a while, and I was sick all the time. And so this just kind of reminds me back, brings me back to the day when this is what I sounded like, and my wife is reminiscing about this really sexy sniffle and timbre of my voice. Sometimes on Sundays I like to play the game of how uncomfortable can I make my wife from the stage. That's my wife right there, by the way. Point her out so you can, so you can look at her and see how red her face gets. Well, uh, we're in a series right now called The Church Just Wants Your Money. And uh, we started off last week about how if I had a dream for us as followers of Jesus, if I had one dream for us, it would not be that you give more of your money to the church. It would not be that you make us rich and you give us all of the money we need to do all of the building and all of the stuff that, that we want to do. My, my number one dream is that everyone in here is, is a diehard, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. 
And we have to look at money because Jesus talks about money. And when he talks about money, he talks about it as the number one contender, the number one competition for your heart when it comes to serving God. If you're going to serve God, you can't serve money. If you're going to serve money, you can't serve God. And this is our verse that we're kind of using throughout this series. It's from Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 34. It's a lot. We're going to read it every week. I really want you to be familiar with it as we go through it. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 34. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And last week we talked about priorities and how when priorities get out of order, then life starts to get a little bit rough. When, when we get the wrong thing in that number one spot, then, then the rest of the life starts to get, get rough and runs rough and feels rough and, and it just starts to get to be a mess. And we need to first, before we even consider talking about what else the Bible says about money, we need to make sure that God is truly the Lord of our lives, that he's on the throne, that he is the one calling the shots, that, that when it comes down to the end of the day, when, when we put our heads on our pillows at night, that, that, we look, that we look to God and say, this day was for you, tomorrow is for you, lead me, guide me, direct me. So like I said, our goal in the series isn't to convince you to give the church more money. That's not my aim. My aim isn't to get you to give us your dollars. My aim instead is to teach you what the Bible really says about money. If it's the number one contender for our heart when it comes to our relationship with God, then we need to know what the Bible says about it. We want you to put God first and get money down on the priority list where it goes. Now, I don't know if you, if you have kids or if you have babysat, or if you have ever looked after someone younger, but if you have, you've probably had to say this word, don't, right? Don't do that. Let me give you some examples. Um, Don't play in the freeway. You may have never had to say that one, but maybe you said don't play in the, we used to play in the road all the time as kids. We played football and basketball out in the middle of the road. We just yell, car, when there's a car coming. So we'd get off the side and get back when the game, after they were gone. That's an obvious one. Don't do drugs. 
Pretty, pretty good advice, I think. That's a good don't. Um, don't stick a fork in an electrical outlet. Anyone ever had to say that one? Someone had to say that to me as a kid. Uh, don't cross exposed wires. Someone had to say that to me as a kid too. It makes a really big spark when you do it though. I mean, if, you, if you just, kids, don't, don't, don't try that at home. Don't, what are some of the other don'ts? Don't run with scissors, right? I mean, that's a, that's a good one. Don't throw scissors. There's a specific way you're supposed to hand off scissors, right? You hold the blade and so the other person can take the handles. Don't chew gum that you found under a table. That's a good don't. Don't, uh, don't try to sell your sister. That one didn't happen in our house. Uh, don't try to ride the dog or the cat or the cow. Don't write on the walls with Sharpie. Mm -hmm. You know how important that one is if you've ever had to try to get Sharpie off the wall. Don't eat the Play-Doh. I don't think it hurts you, but what are some other don'ts? What are some other don'ts that you've had to yell out to kids or to, to, to people when you're, when you're uh, watching over them? What are some other don'ts that you've shared? Don't what? Somebody said, don't follow my example. <laughs> don't, hit. don't hit. Yeah, there's a good one. Don't what? Don't text and drive. I thought you said... I thought you said, don't touch the dry. <laughs> don't talk to strangers. There's another one that came in. Any other don'ts you've got coming that you, that you shared? Don't don't throw rocks. Yeah, there's a good one. Um, I remember as a kid once, we found a whole bunch of gravel and uh, threw it up in the air over a truck while it was driving under. I got in trouble for that one. Don't argue with me. What was one back here? Don't play with bunnies? Oh, with guns. Okay, yeah. What? Yeah, don't bathe the cat. That's not going to that's not going to work well. Someone texted in, "Don't back talk." We've had to use that one in our house a few times. Uh, don't interrupt me during the Seahawks game. Don't eat the salt. Don't lick the butter. Oh, do pick out the onions. Don't put onions in the food. Don't roll your eyes at me. Don't try to eat my candy that you found in my room. Going and that just brought a whole story into mind. Like, it's like you're hiding from the kids, you go into your room, lock the door, get under the bed, you've got this secret stash of candy. 
I don't know if that's true, but that's what came to mind when somebody sent that in. There's a lot of don'ts, right? There's a lot of things that we instinctively kind of know aren't good to do. There, there are things that are, don't tell me, Obama is a Muslim. Respect our president. What is this one? Don't lie to me that you didn't eat my candy, but I can see your mouth. I think there are just a lot of don'ts that, that kind of come naturally to us, right? When, when it comes to just how we're supposed to walk through life, there are things that we know we shouldn't do. And, and as, as older people, it's our responsibility to look down those because we have a better perspective. We have a different way of looking at things. Don't walk too far. What does that one mean? Play where I can see you. Oh, play where I can see you. Okay, there you go. Um, so there, there are a whole lot of things that, that we know because we've been through a little more life, because we have a little more perspective, that we can see a little further ahead of what's going to happen so we can say, don't do this, right? I mean, we've got that vantage point as grown-ups. So when we see kids who are about to run out in front of a car on the road, we say, don't, or we help stop, or we grab them before they're about to make a big mistake that might cost them their life. We we know some of these things because we have perspective. Oftentimes, we can see that someone, whether they're young or old, is about to hurt themselves. They're about to get into some trouble. They're about to get into a spot in a life where a pinch in life, they're going to be making some mistakes. They're going to be having some regrets in the very near future if they continue down the path they're going. That's, that's the case with parenting. That's the case with raising kids. You know, if your kid's about to jump out in front of a car, you need to stop them. But this happens in other areas of life. We, we see people who are about to make bad decisions, but the sad truth is, is that we don't always speak up. We see someone who's about to make a really bad choice, and we don't say, stop, or don't. We have a perspective we can see outside into someone's life and we know something bad is about to heaven happen. Don't. Well, there are some don'ts all throughout scripture when it comes to money. So before we get into the do's next week and, and some other topics that are related to money, by the way, money is, is one of the most mentioned words in the entire Bible because of that thing that Jesus shared about it being the greatest competition for our heart. But there are some don'ts that, that God gives us for our own good. And so if we're wanting to understand money, we need to go all the way back to the one that has the best perspective on money and let him kind of give us the understanding. And so we've talked about many times how this world is built on God's understanding. That's in Proverbs, I think, 17, 9. This world is built on God's wisdom. God designed wisdom and then he built the world on this wisdom. So when he creates all of this stuff, he created an order, he created an operating system, he created the way things are supposed to function, the way things are supposed to work, and the best thing we can do is to go to him, go to God, go to God's word, go to God's advice, and follow it. And this is the way we'll find success, this is the way we will find thriving, this is the way we will have the least heartache, the least trouble, the least drama, the least 
problems. And a lot of us probably have gotten a little off base because instead of going to what God says, we've listened to what others have said or we listen to what the world says and what the world is going to tell us is going to be exactly the opposite of what God is going to tell us. And we're going to see that as we get through these don'ts this morning. By the way, we're gonna cover a lot of scripture this morning, a lot of different verses. I'm gonna pull a lot of verses in. On the back table, on your way out, I have a sheet with these nine don'ts listed out and the scriptures that I'm going to give you to support them. So the scripture isn't going to be on the screen. You can listen to me, let me read it to you. You can get a copy of that and take it with you on your way home. I encourage you to do that and go look those verses up. Go read them in context. Read the surrounding verses, the surrounding chapters. Make sure that what I'm telling you is the truth and that I'm not off track here. And the only way to know that is if you're in the Word studying it yourself. One of the things that I think you'll see a direct contrast with the way the world thinks, but the Bible says the opposite, is don't be in debt. I've shared with you our story uh, as a family, how there were, there were times in our life where we decided we were gonna do things that were contrary to God's word when it came to our money. I've shared this before. This, if you haven't been around, this might be the first time you're hearing it, but we have... I have led our family into some bad decisions financially. There was a lot of justification for the decisions that, that I made when we were, when we were spending money. As, you know, well, we weren't making enough money. We had to be able to have food, you know, and so we, so we put food and stuff like that on credit cards. And over the, over the course of four or five or six years, we built up this huge balance on the credit card. Last time that I talked to you, I talked to you about uh, the debt that we had, and I think we had, I know we had two credit cards that we were paying off. I think we had a third. Um, we've paid off all of them but one, and we're chipping down on the one, so we're making some progress. But the Bible says not to be in debt. Proverbs 22.7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Lender, not lender, like David Lender. The rich rule over the poor, but the borrower a slave to the lender. Now that's not a specific don't, so let's go look at another verse. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27, same chapter. Do not be one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. Because if you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. And then Romans 13 a says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So we don't necessarily hear a strict don't ever do this, but it's pretty clear it's a bad idea. It's pretty clear that you shouldn't be doing this. You know, don't be one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. Now in America, we kind of we have this uh, one area, you know, if we're buying a house, we kind of say, well, that's okay because you gotta have a place to live. And I'm not gonna go down that road because we have had a mortgage, we're going to have a mortgage again. You know, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily condemning mortgages, but, but to live a lifestyle where we are constantly in debt because we're exceeding our ability to pay for the life we have, I think is very unwise. It's very outside of God's plan. So what we need to do is not listen to what the world tells us. You know, the world tells us, 
It's okay to be in debt. It's okay to have credit cards. You know, we hear probably 10 or 15 commercials a day for credit cards. We get advertisements in the mail all the time for credit cards. Credit, you know, credit's not a bad thing, and if you use enough credit, you can get points, and you can use those points to buy things. You can use those points to fly, or you get sky miles, and all of these things. We have all of these justifications, and so we go and we spend a lot of money, and we don't pay off the cards, and, and as we're spending the money, we're accumulating debt, and we're getting more points, and, but we're still starting to pay 16 or 17 percent interest on the pair of jeans that we bought, and so instead of buying the pair of jeans once, we buy the pair of jeans 75 times. We start to waste a lot of money. It's unwise to be in debt. I can tell you from personal experience, it's not a good idea. It's like being in a bear trap. You gotta chew your leg out of it. Don't be in debt. Number two, don't love money. Don't love money money. Hebrews 13, 5. Here's an explicit don't. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Don't love money. Be content with what you have. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Keep your lives from the love of money and be content with what you have. Commercialism is a big part of our culture and I think if there is any one thing that is kind of leading us astray and pulling us away from God's understanding of of money and God's teaching on money, it's this idea that we think we need to have all of the stuff And we talked a lot about that last week, about how we have so much stuff that we can't even give our stuff away for free anymore to secondhand places because they are full of stuff and they can't take any more stuff. We have so much stuff that we can't give it away. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. We talked a long time ago about how how when we're uncontent, mis, not content, what's uncontent? Discontent. discontent, thank you. When we're discontent, that drives us then to do and go down paths that end up causing us a lot of harm. That was in the Freeway series, and I'd encourage you to go check that out online if you want to know more about that. But we're not content, and so that drives us to be busy, and that busyness drives us away from God, and so we're always busy trying to have enough money to buy the next thing that we think is gonna make us happy because we're not content with the life that we have. We need to be content, keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Here we have a contrast between two things. We have the, the, the discontentedness of the world and the promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
It's, it's an echo of what we heard last week about how, how the contrast is between Jesus, who said those words, and the world who wants us to spend money on things. The promise of God is Jesus' presence, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit walking with us through life on a daily basis. This is why we should be content because we don't need the stuff because we have literally everything we could possibly need. We have everything we need for life and godliness. God is going to provide for all of our needs according to his glorious riches. We have everything that we need. Look at the birds of the air. Are they provided for? Look at the grass of the field. We have everything we need. We should be content. Don't be in debt, don't love money. Number three. Don't store up treasures on earth. Matthew chapter six, verse 19, this is right before our passage that we're sharing every week of the series. Jesus is talking, this is the Sermon on the Mount, this is the one sermon I've told you you should go read a whole bunch of times, Matthew chapter five through seven. You should make it a habit to read this on a regular basis, you'll find almost everything you need in there to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter six, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I chose that passage because it's fun to say vermin every once in a while. Kidding, that's not why I chose that passage. I chose that passage because it's a, good, it's a good contrast to what we just talked about. Treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. What happens when our perspective changes? What happens when, when all of a sudden our perspective goes from looking to the eternal to focusing on the temporal? So we're looking and our, and our perspective is on the day. We've talked a lot about the day, how we see the day coming. Jesus is coming again. There's, there's a day out there that we're, that we're kind of working towards and, lead, and living towards and, and leading our lives towards. And this is our perspective. We're aiming towards that day, the day. But what happens when our perspective changes and we're drawn off focus to this thing or to that thing? When we spend a lot of money on this thing and we've spent so much money on it that it's unwise for us to just kind of let it go to waste and get rusty so we have to take care of it, so we have to spend more money to take care of the thing that we're still paying off because we bought it on credit. So, so we, we're, we've got this really nice car that we've got a loan for and then it breaks down and so we gotta pay for the repairs because we spent a lot of money, it can't just sit in the driveway, so, so we're paying for the repairs now and then you know it starts to rust and so then you gotta paint, you know, you just, we spend a lot of time worrying, wasting our lives over the things of this life, and it distracts us from the treasure of eternity. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think one of the reasons it's so hard for our culture, for our world to see a need for Jesus is because we have so much treasure on this earth. We have so many things that we can that we can make our lives about. Especially here in America, we're really blessed. We have, we have all, the, all the food and housing for the most part that we need. Not everybody, but most compared to other countries. We, we have the toys that we want. We don't just have one car. We don't just have two cars. We have three cars. We can get to point from point A to B and stop at C and get a donut on the way. 
And we have the TVs and we have the computers and the iPhones and we have all of these things that draw our attention away. We have sporting events and we have hobbies like hunting and fishing and quilting and sewing and cooking and we have a lot of things that can pull us away that can become our focus, that become our treasure and we'll spend our lives going after that thing and put God in the back seat. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Number four, here's one you may not have heard. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. This comes from Proverbs 23, verse four and five. The words, do not wear yourself out to get rich. That's Proverbs 23, four. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. How many of us are wearing ourselves out to get rich? You know, we've just, we've just kind of got this, I just need more money. I just don't have enough yet. I need more money. I need to, well, you know, I don't, I've only got $800,000 in the 401k and I want to have a million. I, I, I listen to Dave Ramsey sometimes um, on the way home from work and I was listening to Dave Ramsey and this guy called in. He was talking about wanting to be a missionary, and he was 39, three years older than me, and he has $800,000 in his retirement account. I can't even imagine what that would feel like to have $800,000 in his retirement account. And, and he's calling into the Dave Ramsey show, saying, you know, we've got our house paid off, we're on baby step seven, and all this yada, 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 and he said, we've got $800,000 in our retirement account. I'm wonder, wondering, do you think it's okay um, if we stop paying our retirement uh, for, for just you know, six months to a year so we can save up enough money to go be missionaries for a couple of weeks. Like, to me, it just sounded like it's like that humble brag thing. It's like, he's just calling in because he wanted to hear from Dave, you know, good job, you know, you're, you're on baby step seven, you know, way to go, you've got $800,000, I wouldn't worry, I mean, you could, you could stop now, and that's what Dave said, you could stop now and you'll have $8 million when you retire. It's like, don't worry about it. I just wanted to reach through the radio and grab the guy by the throat and punch him in the eyebrow. It's just good for you. Good for you, rich man. Good for you, 800,000. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. It's not going to be worth it. Yes, this guy has a lot of money. He can go do whatever he wants and he can go be missionaries around the world and all that stuff, but what did he have to pay to get to that point? What did he have to give up? What are the losses in his family, in his relationships, in the world around him? Number five, don't put your hope in money. Don't put your hope in money. If you wonder whether or not our country has its hope in money, all you have to do is listen to the news once. Listen to the news once and you will hear our hope in this country is in money because our talk is consistently about the economy. We're, we're always talking about the stock market. We're always talking about real estate. We're always talking about money. Our hope as a country is in money. If we can earn it, then we're gonna be safe. If we can have enough to spend, we're gonna be okay. 
Our hope is in money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me read that last verse again. There's so much there. In this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, when your hope is in money, your, your life is a lie. When your hope is in money, your hope is in something that is going to falter, something that is going to fall. There there is no foundation underneath money. There is no foundation underneath wealth. As we all saw back in 2008, it doesn't take more than a day or two or a week for the entire thing to come crashing down because it's built on a foundation made out of sand. Here we have a contrast to that. In the same way, lay up treasure for themselves, for yourselves, as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What is the foundation for the coming age? Doing good, being rich in good deeds, and being generous and willing to share. This is how we build up a foundation for the coming age. When our hope is in money, our hope is on something that actually is not built on anything. It itself is its own foundation that will fail every time. Don't put your hope in money. Here's another one that I think affects us today. Number six, Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Number six, don't try to get rich quick. Anyone heard of a, don't, of a get rich quick scheme? Pyramid scheme, anyone heard of those? Maybe some of you have had to be a part of those. If you just get three people and they each get three people to invest, maybe you've made a living that way. I'm not necessarily knocking that. If it works and you don't compromise your morals to do that, a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. When you're trying to get rich quick, you're almost always cutting some kind of corner. You're trying to take a shortcut And as we're going to learn about next week, what pays off is faithfulness over the long haul, faithfulness over the long term. So don't try to get rich quick. Number seven, don't oppress anyone because you have riches. Proverbs 11, and there's a lot in chapter 11 of Proverbs that talks about oppression that would be great for us all to read. But verse one through three says, the Lord detects, detests, the Lord detests, dishonest scales, but accurate weight finds favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The Lord detests dishonest scales. Back, back in this time, they, they didn't necessarily have dollar bills and, and you know, kind of constants 
and their money. So they would have scales, and when it came time to buy something, they'd pull out the scales, and so the person who was selling something would have weights on the scale of how much this was worth. So he might you know, have a couple of ounces, and he put it on this side of the scale. And then the person who was buying it would put out their gold coins or their silver coins or their whatever it is, and they would put it on there, and then this thing would, would balance out. And when they had the balance between all of that, then they knew they had the right amount of money to buy whatever it was they were trying to buy. Now, what would happen is you could, you know, if you were uh, in school, you might have seen this. They, they had those weights. They have a little handle on top. They almost look like a bell. And they're, they're all formed to be a specific weight. So you take this weight and you put it on there. This is six ounces. This is two ounces. This is four ounces. You add it all together. You get the total ounces you want. Well, if you drill up into the middle of this bell, you can put a heavier weight in there, and so the thing that's supposed to be four ounces weighs six ounces, so you get more money, even though it looks like it's only two ounces or four ounces or whatever it is. That's dishonest scales. What that means is don't try to weasel your way into more money. When you agree on a price, stick to that price. Don't come back and say, well, you know, we agreed to 10, well, 10 bucks. Well, I don't remember that. I remember like seven bucks, seven bucks, right? That's what we. That's what I remember saying, you know. Or don't be dishonest. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Here's another one on oppression: Ezekiel chapter 18, verse five and seven. Suppose there is a righteous man who does what is just and right. He does not oppress anyone, but returns what he took in pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. The righteous man does not oppress anyone, but he gives back what he pledged he would give back. He doesn't steal, but he gives away his food to the hungry and he gives clothes to the naked. Just because we have money does not give us the right to oppress people around us that don't have it, that can't earn it. Doesn't mean because we have money, because we have what we think is power, because of the money we have, we, we can require things of people that wouldn't normally be required. We need to do what's right, we need to do what's just. Number eight, don't put your trust in money. Proverbs 11, there's a lot of this from Proverbs 11. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Proverbs 11:28. don't put your trust in money. Do you know who wrote most of the book of Proverbs? Not all of it. It was a guy by the name of Solomon. He he prayed and he asked God to be wise instead of to being rich or powerful. And so God gave him wisdom. He was, what the Bible says, the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth. This is Solomon who's writing a lot of these. And God gave him wisdom from, from a very young age. And Solomon, as a result of the wisdom, because... He asked for wisdom and not riches. God also blessed him with riches and he blessed him with a large kingdom. As far as we know, Solomon was and probably still is the richest person that has ever been on the face of the planet. 
Um, I, think I, I think I remember someone kind of breaking down the amount of wealth that he had, and it was somewhere in the $8 trillion range. This was King Solomon. And here he's writing this, and he says, those who trust in their riches will fall. If anyone could trust in riches, it would probably have been Solomon. Solomon would probably be the one that, that had enough money to trust in. He had enough money to, to fall back and say, you know what, I think I'm good. You know, when we think about Bill Gates, we don't picture him worrying about how he's going to make his next house payment, right? When we think of Bill Gates, we're not like, oh man, he must stress all day about how he's going to afford his next yacht. You know, it must keep him up at night, the, the fact that he's going to have to make a couple of payments to get this island. You know, we, we don't think of Bill Gates as having to worry about money. He has enough money that he can trust in what he has. And here's Solomon, who has at least 10 times as much as Bill Gates has, says, those who trust in their riches will fall but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Here again, we have the contrast between money and righteousness, between money and God, between money and pursuing the kingdom of God, but seek first his kingdom and his his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Righteousness, God's kingdom is the thing we need to be pursuing with the same kind of fervor and tenacity that we're going after money. With more tenacity than we ever go after money, we need to pursue God. Do not put your trust in what you can acquire. Put your trust in what was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Don't trust in money. Trust in Jesus. Number nine, don't worry about money. Matthew chapter 10. This is, this is a great passage. This, if, if you know Jim, this is one of his favorite passages. I'll explain that in a minute. He's not here, but... If you struggle with your self-worth, if you struggle with value, this is a great passage for you. I'm not saying Jim struggles with that. I'm just... Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Here's this great contrast. Again, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Who are the ones that can kill the body but not the soul? People. People are the ones who, who could kill us. Who is the one we ought to be afraid of? The one who could destroy both the soul and the body in hell. That would be God and God alone. He is the one who can do that. So who should we put our, our trust in? Who should we be afraid of? People or God? Our, our fear, our righteousness should always come from God. And then here we have two sparrows sold for a penny. How many of you stop to pick up pennies anymore? Yeah, that's, I pick up pennies. Most of us, though, don't. Like, we just kind of, ah, it's a penny. It's not worth my effort bending over to pick up, right? Yeah, if it's a nickel, maybe. If it's a dime or a quarter, we're probably going to stop and 
My wife has incredible luck. She finds 20s on the ground all the time. It's just, it's like God is blowing money her way. Two sparrows are sold for a penny, something we wouldn't even step over and pick up. And yet, this thing that is of so little worth, we won't pick it up off the ground. Not one of them will fall to the ground without God the Father knowing. And then we turn it to us. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. For some of us, that's an easier count than it used to be. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You have infinite worth and value because you are made in the image of God. God made you in his image. He made you to reflect his glory. He made you to look like him so that the world would see him and all of us. You are worth more than many sparrows. You have infinite worth and value. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Are we going to make our stand? Are we going to put our allegiance in what we can build with our money, or is our allegiance going to be in what God has done through grace? Is is our trust going to be in the dollars in our bank account, or is our trust going to be in the grace that has been provided for us for free because of what Jesus has done for us? You see, as long as, as long as our trust, as long as our life is built on this money, as long as our life is built on the dollars in our bank account, we're going to always be constantly worried about it. We're always going to be stressed. We're always going to be wondering how we're going to make, get the next dollar, the next payment, the next whatever it is, because we are worrying about something that we think is our control, that this is our life, this is our responsibility. And while we're going to talk about next week, we do have a responsibility to work. We do have a responsibility to handle handle money well. Our trust and our faith is not built on the dollars that we can acquire. Our trust and our faith is built on the grace that has been given to us freely. This is why we pursue God first. This is why we seek God first and his righteousness and his kingdom because he is the one who created us. He's the one who designed us. He's the one who built the whole world, the whole system, the whole structure, the whole order. We need to rely on what he says about money and stop listening to the world. So don't waste your life worrying about money. There's so many things that are so much more important than the tally in your bank account. And nobody ever says on their deathbed, I wish I would have worked more. Maybe some do, I don't know. At the end of our lives, what we wish for is more time for the important things. At the end of the life, what, what I hear people wishing for is, is not more dollars in their bank account, it's more time with family. It's not a bigger retirement fund, but it's, I wish I had done more to make a difference in the world. I, I, wish, I, I wish I hadn't wasted so much of my life People at the end of their lives all of a sudden have this perspective that we lose along the way. And God has this perspective and he never loses it. And he gives us this guidance through his scripture, the don'ts and the do's. And 
When he tells us what to do and what not to do, we ought to listen because he has a perspective that is seated outside of where we are. Somewhere along the way, though, we lose perspective, and then at the end of our life, when, when we really get back to what's the most important thing, the perspective comes back, the most important thing, why did I not spend more of my life on the most important things? Why did I waste so much of my life chasing money? Which of these two have the possibility of extending from this life into the next? I wish I would have worked more, or I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Do you think God's gonna honor your sick days that you have saved up? you think God's gonna honor your vacation time that you've saved up and stored up? Have we sacrificed our family in pursuit of something that is without a foundation? Because you know what is possible? You may not be able to carry vacation days and sick days into eternity, but you know who can go with you on that journey? Your family. Your family is the only thing you can take with you. Your family are the only ones who who can go with you into eternity, into heaven, into an eternity with the creator of the universe. You know who else can go with you? Those, those who we do good deeds for, those who we spend our lives serving and caring for so that they may see God at work in us, so they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven and so that if they're glorifying our Father in heaven, then they are coming with us too to the other side. They are on the same journey as us. If we're spending so much of our time trying to get more dollars, trying to get more cents, trying to get more zeros before the decimal point in our bank account, then we are robbing ourselves from what the world so desperately needs from us, and that is our presence. That is our ability to walk with them and care for them and be a part of life with them. Money is not what life is about. We don't exist to get as much money as we possibly can. It was never intended that we spend our lives focusing on money. Life is about loving God and loving others. This is the whole purpose that God has designed, loving God and loving others. This is what, if you, if you read in Scripture, you see if you do these things, you fulfill the law, the whole Old Testament law. If you do these two things, you fulfill it all, loving God and loving others. If you haven't been here for a while, then you don't know this, but our verse, Micah 6, 8, is a summary of the law. It has started out with, with hundreds and, uh, you know, just, I don't even know the exact number, but there's a lot of commands, and then it got whittled down by, I think, David to 11, and then I think by Isaiah to 6 or something like that, and then Micah narrowed it down to these three, do justice, love mercy, and walking humbly with our God. If we spend our lives doing these things, if we spend our lives in pursuit of these things, then we will find joy and happiness because we're going after what God wants for us, not what the world wants for us. Are we on track with God or are we on the world's track? Don't waste your life worrying about money. Don't kill yourself over an investment that expires on the day you die. It's not worth it. If you're going to tire, if we are going to work hard, if we are going to labor 
over something, if we are going to find ourselves crawling into bed at night exhausted because we have poured ourselves out, let it be because we have poured ourselves out in the way of God. Let it be because we've poured ourselves out in doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. Let, let it be that we've poured ourselves, as Paul said, as a drink offering so that those around us may come to know Christ, so that those who are following us may see Christ in us, that, that the world will know that there's something different about us by the lives that we live, not because we blend in so well, but we ought to stand out because we know the most important thing is eternity with God. In the end, we either spend our lives trying to make money or we spend our money trying to make a life. I have no plans on being rich. I pray that if God blesses us with income that he just allows us to also be more generous than we've ever been, that that we as a family would be known as people who give people who know the most important thing is God. God first, others second, and I'm third. But when money's the most important thing, we flip the whole thing on its head. I'm first, me first. I'm gonna get what I want, and then if there's something left, I might give it to my family and the others around me, and then at the end of the day, if I can squeeze a little bit of God in, I will. If not, God's the first thing to go. God first, others second, I'm third. What kind of church are we gonna be? What kind of people are we gonna be? Will the world know us by our love, or will the world not even notice us because we're too busy blending in? My hope and my prayer is that we listen to the wisdom of Scripture And when the Bible says, don't do this with money, it's for a bigger purpose, it's for a bigger reason because God wants to be the first and most important thing in your life. Who's on first? I'm planning on being here at this church for a long time. I have this epic movie picture of myself dying in the pulpit. I desperately hope you hear these words because I don't want to sit with you on your deathbed and hear you say, I wish I would have, wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have focused more. I wish I would have given God everything. I wish I would have just done more with my life for God's glory. Let's be different. Let's be the anomaly. Let's stand out. Let's be the ones who, who understand this life is not about the dollars we acquire. This life is about the God that we exalt. And, and the more we exalt in our God, the more we lift him up to the highest place, the more people are drawn to him. 
the more people come into his presence, the more people come into his throne because they're drawn to Jesus, not to us. Let us be the church, the people that, that do everything we can so the people will see God, the people will see Jesus, and that somehow, some way, we might be able to grab a couple and take them to the other side. We may not save many, but let's do our best to save a few and not be distracted with the riches of the world. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I know in this room, myself included, a lot of us, probably all of us, struggle with money. We struggle with wanting more things. We struggle with wanting to acquire more stuff. There are a lot of us in this room, myself included, who have made some bad decisions with money. We find ourselves trapped, enslaved to lenders. We find ourselves stuck in the bondage of someone who controls us because we spent their money. We find ourselves at this point in life having made a lot of bad decisions with money and and we're not sure what way is up and where to go and we just need some help. Maybe others of us in this room are on the other side of the spectrum. We, we have plenty of money, but we've spent too much of our lives chasing it that we've lost focus. We've lost track of the most important thing. We have made you secondary when the only position you have is first. Father, I pray that right now in this moment as we turn to the cross, as we remember the sacrifice you made for us and we celebrate that in communion, that, that you would just snap us all back into alignment. Father, however far off track we are, however many degrees away from the course we have shifted, I pray that, Father, you would bring us back, get our heading back to the only true north, the only one way we can go. Father, I pray for strength in the week ahead to leave this place and live that kind of life. I pray for strength for myself that I would leave this place and be more consumed and more concerned with your mission than with money. I'd be more concerned with the people who aren't in your kingdom yet than I am with how many dollars I can save. Father, I pray that you'd constantly shift my perspective, shift our perspectives as a church, and let us see money as a tool to reach people and not as something that we build our lives upon. May we only ever build our lives upon you the only foundation that will last for all of eternity. In Jesus' name.